0: Friday, November the 5th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, a new coal agreement reached and a new COVID-19 drug approved. First, the World in Brief. The World Health Organization said Europe is again the center of the COVID-19 pandemic, and warned that the disease may kill another 500,000 Europeans by February. It blamed near-record caseloads on sketchy vaccine take-up. Though Portugal has jabbed nearly everyone eligible, in other countries, including France, the proportion vaccinated has stalled at under 70%. In Eastern Europe, it is lower still. The White House said employees at firms with at least 100 workers, some 84 million people, must be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 by January 4th, or get tested weekly as part of its previously announced mandate. Employers will have to pay for workers' time off to get jabbed, but not for tests. Companies in quote, willful violation of the rule, will face fines up to $136,500. The Biden administration sued Texas over voting restrictions signed into law by the state in September. Texas had limited the type of assistance that poll workers can give to voters. The Department of Justice alleged that such limits will disenfranchise people with poor English and disabilities in violation of their civil rights. It also seeks to invalidate the state's new eligibility requirements for postal ballots. Indonesia's Environment Minister said the country should not be expected to end deforestation by 2030, despite its president having pledged on Monday to do so. Over 100 world leaders, including Indonesia's Joko Widodo, signed the agreement to stop selling forests within a decade at COP26. But Siti Nabuya Bukar said development would remain the country's priority. Indonesia's vast rainforests continue to shrink. Local elections delivered a stern rebuke to South Africa's ruling African National Congress. For the first time since the end of apartheid, the ANC's vote share fell below 50%. The party still enjoys an easy plurality and a divided opposition. But discontent is running high, with electricity shortages its most visible cause. Bigger elections are set for 2024. Britain became the first country to approve molnupiravir, the first oral antiviral medicine available to treat COVID-19. Trials of the drug, manufactured by Merck, a pharma company, and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, a biotech firm, have shown that patients with a risk factor of COVID-19 were 50% less likely to be hospitalized or die if the drug was taken within five days of symptoms arising. Owen Paterson, a British MP embroiled in a lobbying scandal, resigned after 24 years in Parliament. The Conservative politician said he wanted a life, quote, outside the cruel world of politics, following a backlash over a report alleging that he pocketed more than £100,000, $135,000 a year, to lobby the government on behalf of two firms. He denies any wrongdoing. Prior to his resignation, Britain's Tory government, went to disgraceful lengths to protect him. And figure of the day, 80%, the percentage of Western Sahara controlled by Morocco. The Polisario Front, a nationalist movement, runs the remaining part. The desert dispute is igniting an old rivalry between Morocco and Algeria, which supports Polisario. And now, here's today's agenda. No choice. Elections in Nicaragua. Though Nicaraguans will not vote in presidential and general elections until Sunday, the polls outcome has long been clear. Daniel Ortega will be elected to his fifth five-year term and his Sandinista party will probably win most of the 92 seats in the National Assembly. Last year, the parliament, already dominated by the president's party, gave the regime broad powers to accuse people of treason. Since May, the authorities have locked up scores of opposition politicians, including seven presidential contenders. Dozens of activists and journalists have been forced into exile, many others are in prison. Many suspect that the 75-year-old Mr. Ortega is planning for his wife and the current vice president, Rosario Murillo, to take over eventually. Neither is popular, but many Nicaraguans would hesitate to demonstrate against them after an uprising against the regime was brutally crushed in 2018. Neither the streets nor the ballot box offer much hope. unhappy holidays hindus in bangladesh most of the world's hindus live in india but 12 million live next door in bangladesh where 90% of the population is muslim relations are strained and hindu bangladeshi's are feeling badly outnumbered on thursday they celebrate his kali puja observed elsewhere as diwali the last event in a festive month on friday they must decide how to respond to the bloodshed experienced during the celebrations. On October 13th, rumours spread via Facebook and WhatsApp that a Quran had been defiled in a Hindu shrine. Muslim mobs vandalised temples and looted and burned homes. Hundreds of Hindus were wounded and at least three died, along with four Muslim protesters shot by police. It is far from the first time rioters had targeted the country's Hindus. Other Bangladeshi minorities have suffered similar persecution. But Hindu-Muslim violence now has an international dimension. Hindu activists in a Bengali part of India attacked Muslim shops and mosques on October 26th. Their cross-border trade in hatred is the last thing either country needs. Up in the air, International Airlines Group. The darkness of the clouds still hanging over the aviation industry will be more evident after International Airlines Group, owner of British Airways, Iberia and Aer Lingus, reports third quarter results on Friday. For such legacy carriers that rely heavily on long-haul international flights for profits, travel restrictions imposed because of COVID-19 are still a heavy burden. Add to that the near doubling in the price of jet fuel this year, and IAG may not do much better than the operating loss of $2.1 billion it took in the second quarter. Even airlines where big domestic markets have rebounded are suffering. America's Delta Airlines, after a brief burst of profitability, has warned that it will post losses in the fourth quarter. But carriers on both sides of the Atlantic can celebrate some good news. The reopening of America to fully vaccinated travellers will revive some of their most profitable routes, making the skies a little clearer. Of Pikachus and Protesters Activism at COP26 On Friday, COP26, the UN Climate Summit, will focus on, quote, youth and public empowerment. But the kids are more likely to be found making noise outside the conference doors. Greta Thunberg, a young Swedish activist, will join a, quote, Fridays for Future strike, a movement she created in which students skip school to demonstrate. A larger march is planned for Saturday. COP26's first week has been marked by such protests. Indigenous activists expressed anger at the use of forests for carbon offsetting, which many say trespasses on their land and is no substitute for transitioning away from fossil fuels, while world leaders talked it up. People costumed as an inflatable, quote, Pikachu, a chubby electric rodent, railed against Japan's coal industry, though they were unable to shock the country into promising to phase it out. Protesters against, quote, greenwashing, the overselling of an organization's environmental credentials clashed with police. Beneath the anger is a common complaint. Politicians and businesses are too slow to tackle climate change. Footnotes G Writing History. In preparation for another five year term as the Chinese Communist Party's leader, Xi Jinping is rewriting history. Gaddy Epstein, our China Affairs editor, will cover next week's annual plenum in Beijing. Mr. Xi plans to enshrine himself as China's rightful leader for the modern era, on par with Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping. Only twice has the party issued a formal resolution on its history. In 1945, Mao used one to purge rivals and put himself centre stage as hero of the party, as explained in New Perspectives on the Chinese Revolution, edited by Tony Seich and Hans van der Ven. Gaddy recommends two monumental books to understand the disasters of Mao's reign. Tombstone, The Great Chinese Famine by Chinese journalist Yang Jixing draws on 20 years of research to detail the devastating famine caused by Mao's Great Leap Forward, which killed an estimated 36 million people. Mao's Last Revolution, by historians Roger McFarquhar and Michael Schoenhals, is a meticulously researched treatment of the Cultural Revolution. The second resolution on party history came in 1981, declaring that Mao's mistakes had plunged the country into chaos. It quieted Mao's supporters and allowed Deng to pursue economic reforms. But in 2013, a speech by Mr. Xi, analysed by Joseph Smith at Boston University, began the rehabilitation of the Mao era that has led to this moment. And Mr. Xi's rewrite? Based on a recent speech, scholars expect it to describe Mao's and Deng's as flourishing eras in need of completion. By Mr. Xi, of course. For more China coverage, follow Gaddy on Twitter. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Isaiah Berlin, who died on this day in 1997. The triumph of despotism is to force the slaves to declare themselves free. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays.